0: Hello. Welcome to a special Adele Flip Phone episode of Restart Radio. Um, I'm joined today by Ugo Valari, and my name is Janet Gunter, and uh, we're the co founders of the Restart Project. Our mission is to uh, to make a uh, to change our relationship with electronics to make it happier and more sustainable and we're a little bit late to the party but uh <laughs> this week we shared a really interesting uh, bunch of posts and comments about the new uh adele track that uh, 50 million people have been watching and talking about and even uh sir david attenborough himself commented on um and in that video there is a flip phone um which got a lot of attention and um, online. So we're going to talk about the meaning of all of that. um, And we're going to go into a little bit more about music and the electronics we use to listen to music and the kind of more emotional issues related to music and technology. So welcome.
1: Hello, if I may (laughs) say as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Um, So... You know, it was really funny because we've been talking a lot about, um, we we talk too much probably about mobiles, actually.
1: All of the Um, time.
0: Yeah, because they're in our pockets, they're in our hands. Um, And that Adele uh, video was fun in the sense that it really did get people talking about, um, yeah, the actual thing that they hold and use. And it got me thinking about, you know... Um, actually when we used to kind of we used to like the devices we had a, a certain more affectionate um, relationship with stuff so we would pick the color um, we would we would pick a special model for reasons that we don't necessarily now um, and we'd probably use it a little bit longer wouldn't you say, Ugo?
1: Definitely there wasn't also that urge to upgrade because ultimately for years there wasn't really much of a different new feature and I do have personally a memory Of that type of flip phone it was giving me quite a lot of satisfaction to switch it off close down the so-called clamshell after you sent off your message it's like
0: yeah there was some satisfying little little you put it away
1: and then you don't see you don't have any more notification until you open it again so it's kind of putting it aside and Get on with your life.
0: Yeah, I think um, there. I think part of the you know the nostalgia and the kind of like um, hipster obsession with these vintage um, phones is more like a nostalgia for the way we used to use things, and not so much necessarily a material nostalgia for the actual thing itself.
1: Certainly, you know, although there are new phones that now are trying to copy that style, probably just to see whether there is marketing opportunity there. Um, I'm not saying that I would want to go back to one of those giant bricks that you couldn't fit in your jeans and probably not even your coat. (laughs) In fact, I did used to have one mobile phone, my very first one. Uh, We would just keep it on top of the fridge at home. It was (laughs) a landline substitute and I would never dare being seen making a phone call while yeah. walking around town. And- well, I
0: remember in the US I don't know if this was a case here but um there was very there was in a sense there was almost a stigma attached to mobiles in the beginning it was um something that either a doctor would have or a drug dealer. And there was kind of this notion that um that you know those are things that uh th- the average person uh doesn't have and you know I I mean we we both went to university at a time when We didn't have mobiles you know we 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 were lucky to have fast internet um what what was your when did you get your first mobile ugo
1: so it was in well i was kind of given one that was a family idea um, in 97 oh wow that's early and that's at the time when i didn't really want to be seen with one and (laughs) so I would leave it at home and only switch it on between 8 or 10pm but then I realised that that way I would miss out on opportunities and invitations from friends at university to say well we can't reach you Um, but but the idea is that the mobile phone and the changes in the way we, we use it has really chronicled steps in the way we connect as communities. I have very bright memories of specific moments such as the first time getting back into Europe after living for a year abroad in the US when i saw people talking <laughs> in the air without any mobile phone that was the beginning of bluetooth and Yeah, I I still have
0: moments where I'm like, Bluetooth or crazy? (laughs) I mean, not to stigmatize crazy, but you know, um, you do have those moments where you're like, "Uh, what's going on? I still have those.
1: But you remember there was a time when in the United States, people were very much behind in terms of their use uh, of mobiles. And so you would go to Europe and you see people doing all kinds of things that over there they were not possible. Messaging, texting, that wasn't a thing. SMS was not really. A big deal, for example.:
0: Yeah, if you were to ask me when I got my first mobile, it was when I moved to a dusty small country on the end of the world, and there uh, the telephony infrastructure had been destroyed, and um, the only thing we could do to actually build a life and a social life was to get a handset. Um, but airtime was so expensive that all we would do was text. so it was essentially like a pager. Like a you know, like a real time pager where there was no intermediary because we never actually talked on the phone. And I had this big I think it was a big Ericsson one of the yeah, like the one that you couldn't fit in the pocket.
1: The pager though, I'd, actually that is something that you probably coming from uh, good old America, you can explain to me. I've only ever seen a pager in films. I've never seen a pager in real life. Yeah, it
0: was like pre-SMS, I guess, SMS before SMS. And then some people here remember, like we didn't have in the States, telete- uh, teletext or oh, different yeah. forms of like pre-internet, um, in, you know, information via television. So anyway, the, the, just to bring it back to the, you know, the the Adele video, it's interesting because It has us reflecting, as you said, on the way that we've used different technologies and how we've used them to communicate. But actually, you said you saw an interview with the director himself who said...
1: Yeah, the director of the video, who is much younger than us, 26. Yeah, he
0: probably doesn't even remember pre-smartphone Which is
1: interesting in its own terms, because for some people, this type of phones is actually prehistoric. It's something that they have not experienced, a bit like VCR. But... He says that actually the idea of using an older phone is nothing to do with creating, you know, something hip, but it's more to do with not making your video not look like an ad. The same way as you wouldn't want to use a brand new car in the video. It prefers something a bit more vintage because it wants to give a timeless layer, timeless meaning yeah. to the story, which is about reconnecting with an old ex.
0: Yeah, it's a bit – anyway, it's a bit unbelievable because it's a farmhouse in Quebec and you're thinking, what's all this? But, yeah, I can can see why a 26-year-old might find – it's funny – a flip phone timeless. One of the things that moving on that we've been talking about – now moving on beyond the mobile because we talk too much about them – We've been um, seeing a lot of we've seen a lot of radios at restart parties. Um, ever since we started, you know, calling people in to fix broken kit, we've seen analog radios. We've seen DAB radios of all descriptions, and um, this Saturday in Hackney, we was no was no exception. We saw a number of radios.
1: There um, were at least three uh, radios brought um, to the event, including an amazing one from allegedly the sixties, an HMV radio that had five valves inside and it was an AM radio. So from a time when FM broadcasting wasn't really a thing yet and uh, it was full of dust and that's a different story. Luckily the radio is now fine but it really tells you a little bit more about People's fascination and love for radio as a medium, but also as an object.
0: Yeah, I and mean, one of the things we've also seen is all of these. Um, so the, the the new dab radios that are uh, kind of retro or designed in a kind of retro way, and part of me wants to like them, but um, there are very few that I, I actually. I think part of the what they're missing is that they 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 feel they don't feel like the same. Um, Uh, durability they don't feel like really sturdy products which was what radio used to be i mean do you have the same feeling
1: there is this mismatch on the one hand they want to look old uh, but they're incredibly new and uh, with new outside and inside actually that brings a layer of lacked well lack of attention to detail to making the product as repairable and serviceable as that look would imply exactly because in a
0: sense the retro is almost just like a skin that's been thrown on top of a oftentimes um, not so well engineered product probably
1: it's not you know the old radio's often had a wooden element to them and this is probably fake wood on top just to add a bit there of there are color. a couple
0: that that do that do that well but very few and then there's always the um the digital uh interface which is which i i, have, I haven't seen a dab radio yet, you know a retro one that i think does that well that kind of integrates the digital into the analog feel
1: yeah and they seem to fail um more often than their older counterparts, which begs the question, why, really? Yeah. Why are they, are they designed poorly? Or is it the electronics that are in, involved in, in the DAB radio signal uh, more prone to failure?
0: Um, one of the things we also started looking at, and we're um, as we're not like you know super radio people, um, we were learning. But there are a number of UK-based manufacturers uh, and designers of dab radios. If you look at um, globally, you know, uh, well, I don't know about market share, but if you look, you see that there are heaps of uh, brands based here in the UK. So that's actually one of the things that is kind of still, in a sense, being designed. Sometimes um, the high-end stuff being manufactured
1: here. Yes there is definitely a bit of that and uh somehow the same is no longer the case for all kinds of other electronics uh, but you still find lots of radios and toasters and not that many other appliances that are actually more directly manufactured and certainly designed here. I mean
0: there's obviously a big tradition of you know of high high-end audio engineering here in the UK and um I guess it probably came alongside you know computing and other and other developments but yeah, it's interesting to think like, okay, so some of those brands have a fairly high profile in terms of quality and in terms of like how people perceive them um I mean, I, I don't want to obviously promote any one particular brand, but there's a couple that are known for supplying spare parts um, and, and really, but spare parts for the whole back catalog, which is pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and then there's a couple other brands that we would like to like, but we just keep seeing them turning up broken at our events. And
1: the thing is, people clearly associate with those brands exactly because they're British. And so they want to support something that's locally manufactured and designed. And we'd love to be able to endorse them in a sense. But perhaps there might be opportunities because we're not too far, geographically speaking, so that we might be able to influence some future developments. Let's hope.
0: Yeah, and you're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM in London, which I believe will soon be having its own uh, DAB broadcast. Um, so currently you can listen to us on the FM dial and online and soon on a DAB uh, broadcast as well, which is exciting. And um, we part of the reason we were really keen to start this radio show is because we think radio is such a, uh, well, it is a timeless uh, medium. And... Um, and probably more so than the flip phone. Let's be let's be <laughs> honest, or than any kind of mobile. Um, so the other one of the other things we got thinking about um, with, I guess, with all of this was um, the way that, pe- that that audio equipment generally has, and the way that we consume and listen to music and audio. There's a real emotional aspect to it, and some kind of durability that comes with different media. So. Um, You know, I I was somebody who I am not a super audiophile, but, you know, in in high school I did assemble like a a stereo with used used components. And um, and one of the things that really was encouraging to me when you mentioned Bluetooth, you know, we can have our critiques of Bluetooth as a protocol, but it has opened up a huge number of possibilities. So, for example, now um, in my my the the version of this this home uh, DIY kind of component stereo is that I bought a 1960 an amp, an amp receiver from 1969, um, manufactured in Norway, and it was able to connect a Bluetooth receiver to it. So, in the mornings, I'm listening to internet radio through uh, through a stereo that was manufactured like well before my birth, and that's kind of exciting.
1: And I can testify that it works. I've seen it in action <laughs> myself visiting you. So, it's it's beautiful because actually. The sound uh, uh, might be a bit less digital, super clean, uh, as we now um, are so used to. But actually, there's something truly meaningful about giving new life and a new, whole new lease of life to a product that was otherwise probably destined for scrap. And you can play all these new, exciting contents, whether they're podcasts or new formats or even the streaming channels that people are obsessing about um, through that very old device wirelessly. So you don't need some crazy new stereo amplifier and thousands of pounds to create... A nice listening station these days.
0: Yeah, another thing that's—I mean, I—I I, I tend to—it's a bit like going to the second-hand uh, clothing shops. I tend to go and look at my local British Heart Foundation, um, like once a week, and just see. And I like—I go by the audio section just to check out what components um, are for sale. And I'm still holding out. I still haven't bought. I, I have a—I have plenty of CDs. It's, I'm going to confess that I'm not that. Obsessed enough that I have that I need to play LPs and um, that I've gone back to vinyl. But I have some CDs, and there's a, there, again, there's like this effective relationship you have with the case, the object, these CDs that have followed me through numerous group houses and been scratched up and barely survived.
1: Absolutely, I have <laughs> the exact same experience. And um, you know, I do have a collection of CDs that has followed me uh, through continents really and somehow there's something special about deciding that you will put that very physical album inside a device and you will then not touch or interact at all with the system and you will listen to a whole hour or so of music the way it was intended by the person who composed it and I think you know without going too philosophical but there is something in our incredibly um paced up relationship with the electronics we we consume on a daily yeah. basis that kind of destroys what was um previously a very quiet relaxed yeah. relationship it's with it's something music. about like
0: just like it's a twitchy kind of relationship isn't it it's the same it's it's the way we consume media is very twitchy and um and i would say that's true that um i mean even just looking at you know if you if you Created online media like a video or, or or music, and you, it's a little bit disillusioning when you see the drop off. Yeah. I mean that you literally are only getting thirty seconds of people's attention. And um, what
1: Janet is referring to is the fact that when you have a video on any online platform. If you go and check the stats of how people watch it, you see that people start and after half a minute, uh, the vast majority of people stop watching it and moved on to something else. Mm -hmm. And while I respect that choice, the individual choice, the fact that we collectively are so obsessed by the so-called fear of missing out and moving on to the next track, the next record, the next whatever, it is... Something yeah. that I don't know, I, I'm not particularly happy about personally. Yeah,
0: I, I know what you mean about like the album and the different mediums and formats. Like, I was, in fact, when I'm trying to choose a CD player component, I was thinking, okay, does it really matter that the remote is broken? I mean, for me, if if I'm going to have this kind of different experience with music and I've decided, okay, I'm going to listen to an album, um, it just doesn't really matter on some level if there is no remote or if it's broken. For me, that's that's the stage I'm at right now. No, no,
1: I I completely am with you. I have a DVD player that plays CDs as well, like most people of maybe our age, I don't know. Um, And it has a remote that has... 25 or 30 buttons and honestly I don't understand even why they're there at times you can't yeah. find play pause or stop which are the only three Okay, that I feel like probably... now we're
0: getting into like we're like we're old folks territory no, because but but I, I, I do think the that there are people that things. but you know like and also television has changed a lot and I sometimes I feel like I'm just maybe like a conscientious objector and I should try and understand how people are consuming TV now because it is really different um but I think I guess what we're just proposing is like, is like a slightly more mindful, conscientious um, relationship with things. So if something does cause you anxiety or if you don't necessarily know why it's there um, or if you need it, then, yeah, just take a pause. You don't necessarily have to accept things um, as they're kind of handed to you out of the box. Um, you, in fact, you don't even need to go and get something out of a box. You can potentially buy something secondhand or um or get someone to help you fix something you already have that you really like. Um, one of the other things we, um, I guess we were, we were talking about was. Um uh, and this is kind of related to the whole music um, consumption thing. Is um, my love of or our, my love of electronic music that I definitely um, was, rece- you know, kind of got from my brother, who was quite. I mean, he was a quite obsessive collector, um, quite into the tech, and the, he wasn't so much an audiophile. Thank God, I mean, he didn't spend, he didn't uh, you know spend crazy, crazy amounts of money on vacuum tubes and components and all crazy stuff but he was really into electronic music so you and I we went to see um we went to see Autekker on Saturday which is like this you know seminal electronic music duo from the UK and how would it was interesting because I think actually that was an interesting experience in terms of um you know kind of then and now Expectations people have around music and performance, and uh what would you, what were your reflections from that, Ugo?
1: In a way, I can't say that we went to see Oteckler, yeah, because we really didn't see any of them ever <laughs> at all. The room was completely dark for the whole duration of their performance, which was a brilliant performance. I think we went to hear,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a O-Taker, fair, that's a fair comment,
1: um, and to see how tons of ravers were potentially at times also a little bit lost in the lack (laughs) of flashy visuals behind um, their uh, instruments. Um, It was a wonderful gig and um, I guess it really begs the question of, you know, a, a lot of electronic music today and performances by DJs. You can rarely tell how much of it is actually happening Live through the digital machines that they use, but actually live um, in the moment when they're performing, as opposed to being a partly pre-recorded track that just plays with people kind of just yeah although uh, they,
0: they you know they they say that quite a lot of the, their their art and their performances is, is 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 live that they're exactly. working within a framework and i did get the feeling they were in some level there was actually more interesting interaction with the audience because of because there was no light anywhere in the room but there was an interesting kind of like i felt like they were responding to cheers and and um and feedback from the audience,
1: like uh, you know, but well, there is also the importance of silence um, in yeah. in those performances because that's the only time when the crowd can mm. make itself heard. And also that, like, by expanding or reducing the amount of silence in between two set of sounds, shall we say, yeah. uh, y- you can really play um, with the audience a little bit. And they weren't really going for to please the audience at all but there was a very uh, warm atmosphere in the club
0: yeah some people were complaining about um the sound there and i i confess that um as long, I mean, I think what they were asking for was louder, and um, I'm I'm of the uh, maybe uh, too old for the losing hearing set. Should so we I say was...
1: we were quite <laughs> pleased, not having forgotten at home our earplugs? Yeah. We were okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, we did just fine, and um, that leads me to um, you know, I guess this is a different episode than most because we're really going a, a little bit all over the place, but. Um, we uh, we we had the pleasure of meeting um david vorhouse um uh i believe it was last year around this time and um who is who's really a pioneer in uh, british electronic music he came to um one of our restart parties and he's he actually lives um not far from from Ugo um, in, Camden, in, in yeah. the Camden area and um he's he's known for well basically kind of in a sense i guess early electronic musicians were kind of hackers and makers and fixers i mean they had to be fixers um and um he seemed to really sympathize with with what we're doing and it was really really a pleasure to meet him um we, it's funny because you know Black Friday is coming up and of course um, one of white noises um, that's his uh his performance his performer's name one of his most famous recordings is called black mass and of course has been accused uh, of being I don't know all kinds of terrible things promoting terrible conspiracy satanic messages whatever but um we decided not to to share with you a little bit of black mass um, because it's Yeah, it's a little bit dark for for a dark November day.
1: We wanted, however, to share a few seconds of another one of his tracks. And this is called Polka Dots from his White Noise 4 album, I believe. Yeah, it it came out in
0: 1989.
1: Also known as Inferno, at least from the cover. Yeah. Somehow we, we we'd kind of dreamed that this could be an alternative uh, tune to, to launch our future. Podcasts and uh, radio shows. But what we loved about uh, meeting David was that immediately, as someone who's been creating music and working on creating his own instruments and creating his own studio for years, he was immediately at home when he visited a Restart party. And, you know, he told us that he felt like we were really doing something that has been. Lost by most people, and that he felt very, very close. And he just came because he had heard about the fact that we were doing it, and he just showed up at the pub where we were running a restart event. So hopefully, we'll be able to bring him back, perhaps even on the radio.
0: Yeah. And it's it's interesting how I really, one thing that I really love about um, what we do is that there's so many overlaps with so many different communities, like specialists and so dedicated and committed communities, like with cyclists, um, with, with menders and fashion people. We have a natural sympathy with people that like to make their own clothes or um, just generally anyone who's um interested in you know in combating fast fashion as it's called um and then the music community there's a natural um overlap in fact one of our restarters is a guitar um guitar enthusiast who
1: yeah and, and actually you know if we go back at the event that took place last Saturday in Hackney the Big Fix what was amazing was to see that so many people dedicated um to different sectors of repair and tinkering and mending uh, not really for the love of the technology but for the love of sharing and learning and putting their own skills and abilities to use to a wider audience um, the organisers of the event uh, claimed that there were about 150 people that turned up during the day. And it was the biggest fixing day we've ever seen so far. Yeah,
0: it might have been the biggest fixing event in London um, that we've seen to date. So um, to wrap things up, (laughs) we're going to have um, a restart party in uh, Tulse Hill near Brixton uh, on Saturday afternoon. In the uh, Holy Trinity Church, that's the top of Brockwell Park, and that's from 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, this Saturday. And we'll also be, if anyone's um, keen to join us, we're hoping to create a uh, fixing and mending crew at the... Uh, the uh, Climate March on Sunday and I believe we'll be meeting a little bit before noon. You can find details about that on our website therestartproject.org our tweet at Restart Project and on Facebook.
1: And if you are listening from Imperial College uh, next Tuesday uh, exactly at the time of the radio show we will be running a special restart party at the university. Find more information um, on the college website and, and posters and on the newspaper at the university.
0: And uh, we're here every Tuesday at 1.30 p.m. Uh, on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for joining us and uh, we'll talk next week.
1: Bye.